Okay, uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, today is Wednesday, June 24th. Uh, thank you all for joining us on the Veterans Corporate Council Roundtable, where we have the opportunity to have genuine discussion with individuals across corporate America who are making a difference within the veterans community, in particular within uh, veteran employee resource groups uh, in the respective companies and uh, the communities they serve. Uh, tonight, we have the honor of talking with Jonathan Etheridge, uh, a friend and a uh, who's a senior manager at Morris Pet Care right here in uh, the middle Tennessee area. Uh, welcome, Jonathan. Yeah, thank you, Charles. Glad to be here. Um, you know, one, uh, you know, one, I think we always like to start off with just giving you a chance to sort of tell the audience a little bit about yourself, you know, uh, where you're from, you know, what, what's your background as it relates to the military and sort of where you live now. So uh, born and raised in Michigan, uh, go blue. And uh, I was a Navy veteran, so I worked in military intelligence. And after getting out of the service, went to work uh, for the government in a couple defense contracting positions, um, and then for the Defense Intelligence Agency before jumping over into healthcare, and uh, which which is also my my foray into the technology aspect of things. So now with I work for Mars Pet Care uh, in Franklin, just south of Nashville, and I'm the senior manager of business partnership. So we work with our global information technology organization and the business leadership to ensure that their business objectives align with our global technology strategy. Oh, very nice. And uh, you, you came to Nashville before Mars Pet Care though, right? Yeah, yeah, I'd been in, yeah, I've been with Mars Pet Care for just over a year. I worked for a company called A.O. Smith, which is another consumer product goods a manufacturing company uh, that that has one of its uh, North American headquarters uh, in the Middle Tennessee area. Okay, nice, and that's what brought you to Nashville, right? So, well, yeah, when I was working in consulting, uh, you know, in the healthcare space, it, Nashville being being a hub of the profession and the industry, I uh, spent a lot of time in the city, and so finally, you know, I told my wife when we were we, you know, trying to look at where we're going to put down our roots, uh, you know, I told her I said, "Hey, I would not go anywhere other than Nashville." <laughs> at this point so we knew where we wanted to be and we looked for the opportunities that would that would get us here oh nice um so since you get, you've been here in nashville what if what have uh, you and your wife thought about the the area oh we love it i mean it's 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 for us it's centrally located to family you know no one's more than half a day away which i think is, is really really important um but just the, the culture of nashville it's you know one of the things we missed living in well, we lived in military towns because everyone's a transplant people are so welcoming um, and we we moved to you know some smaller communities um, when I was working at hospitals around the country various community hospitals and we missed that feeling of being accepted and and you know having other people like us who are new to the area and trying to explore and make friends. But coming to Nashville, we're back in that lifestyle again. And, and really, it's just such an inclusive community. Uh, the veteran community especially has, you know, welcomes everyone with open arms. And, and it's been phenomenal. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I think uh, the first time we met was actually at a, a networking event here in uh, Nashville through the National Technology Council, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's the first time our paths crossed. Yeah, they were, they were just launching the um, Veterans Peer Group. And I think you were, you're on the board of the organization. And then we're also one of the mentors. Um, not, not my first mentor. Uh, I had a, the opportunity to, to work with one, but came back for a second round and 
was fortunate enough to, to be able to spend some time with you and, and learn a lot from your experiences. Yeah, I think that sort of goes to the power of how small Nashville is, especially in the healthcare and technology sector here. Uh, definitely, uh, and it was good to see the Nashville Technology Center do something for veterans. So a lot of good people there. Yeah, I was, uh, I was helping out with the uh, Ventures Mentorship Program, but I uh, wasn't part of the board there, but very close friends with them all. Uh, they're doing some good stuff for sure. Um, you know, it's funny, you were talking about, you know, uh, moving to Nashville and the city of ex- uh, inclusiveness and everything else, and then all of a sudden, you know, COVID hit. Um, <laughs> we sort of put everybody back into their own respective areas in, in bubbles. Uh, with our, uh, the COVID situation as it is, What's one thing you sort of miss the most about, you know, the, the normal, normal life uh, that you had pre-COVID? I think my drive to and from work, even if it's, it's only as short as, as 12 or 15 minutes, but that transition time where I can just put on music that relaxes me and, and kind of, you know, shut my work brain off and turn my home brain on um, and vice versa uh, is, is precious. And so I, I, I do miss that because it feels like now, you know, even while you're working from home and you're able to get away and spend time with your family, it does feel like the work and the home life blends a little bit because there's not that clear physical separation. And that's not something that I'm, I've been used to prior to that. You know what? I never even thought about that, but I think everybody, now that you mentioned it, I definitely miss having those, you know, 20, 30 minutes to just, collect my thoughts before and after. So for sure. Um, you know, you had mentioned about your role at Mars Pet Care and, and talked about Mars Pet Care. Uh, we, for those who may not be as familiar with Mars Pet Care, obviously they, they probably associate the, the pet care aspect of it, but you know, Mars is an international brand. Would you mind just uh, sort of illustrating a little bit for those who may not be familiar with Mars Pet Care is in their broader portfolio, just what they do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, most people know Mars Incorporated for our, our confectionery or chocolate brands, you know, M&M's, Wrigley, uh, Snickers, and Twix. Uh, but a large part of the business is focused on pet care. So Mars Pet Care itself is a global business made up of 85,000 associates in 55 countries. And really, we look at serving the health and nutrition needs of pets around the world. So our portfolio include some of the world's you know, best loved brands like Pedigree, Imes, Greenies, and Sheba. Uh, but we're also a leading veterinary health provider. And we have an international network of over 2,000 pet hospitals and diagnostic services. And some of our big brands there that our clinics operate under are Banfield, Blue Pearl, and BCA. And then some of the really fun part of the job is the investments that we're making to be active in the innovation and technology space for pets. So we've developed products like Wisdom Panel, which is both a DNA testing and a genetic health screening uh, technology for dogs, and Whistle, uh, which is a, a combination of a GPS tracker and a, and a Fitbit. So you know you can you can know where your dog's at and monitor their the the health of their physical activity. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I actually learned something new today. I, I didn't realize that uh, Mars uh, portfolio in the pet care space went that deep and why so um yeah, it, was, it was part of what attracted me to the company um was the the pet care aspect because coming from human health care you know a lot of the things that we've been talking about around data and analytics and population health management 
and you know understanding the continuum of care and the, the role that nutrition and healthy lifestyle can have on, on the quality of life and clinical outcomes. That's all stuff that we're looking at for pets now. And so it was, it was a chance for me to take both that professional uh, aspect and things that I liked and combine it with my, with my love and passion uh, for helping animals. Oh, very nice. You know, uh, uh, I think one of the things that's been nice uh, uh, knowing you and a little bit about the great stuff that Mars Pet Care is doing on the veteran space, can you share a little bit about some of the key initiatives that, or, or really the veterans group there at Mars Pet Care? Yeah, so our, our veteran group uh, is called Dog Techs, um, which, I, which I thought was you know, pretty clever with the pet aspect in the, in the military service. Um, you know, and, and we're not unique amongst a lot of uh, what we call ARGs or ERGs. We are part of our broader Inclusion and Diversity Council. Um, so we're, we're represented within the INDU organization. And we're aligned and focused on really three major pillars. You know, we look at recruit. So what can we do to help Mars attract and recruit top veteran talent, provide a welcoming environment for veteran talent, and then also assist in the onboarding of, of veterans or, or family members you know, of veterans, um, especially those, we have programs that are specifically dedicated to, to helping those who are transitioning out of military service for the first time. So this is their first civilian foray is, is, is employment with MARVs. Uh, we also have a retain pillar. So that's what are we doing to build that internal sense of community and support network uh, within Mars and, and create that inclusive environment. And then we have our represent pillar, which is where we, we interact with community organizations like the Veterans Corporate Council and some other nonprofits that we do service events through um, and do community events organized around Veterans Day and, and Memorial Day. Um, but one of the things I think that struck me about dog tags, having been involved in three other ERGs before uh, and, and, and a, you know, founding one at another, at another large organization, those groups were only limited to veterans themselves that were employees. And dog tags is inclusive of not just our associates that are veterans, but also our family members and friends. So we try to make sure that all of our programming is also geared towards any of our associates and all of our events are open because only a small percentage of the population is an actual veteran or, you know, current serving reservist or member of the guard. But there are plenty of associates that are, you know, the children of veterans that maybe they're caring for and, and they, they're interested in what benefits are available to them or their children are thinking about enlisting or, or you know, getting commissioned in the military and they want to talk to someone with that experience and get some outside counsel. So, you know, that, that aspect of welcoming everyone is, is unique in my experience, at least. And one of the things that I think is, is tremendous about this group. Yeah. I think you said something that's really unique um, or, and I'll probably say instead of unique, impactful, uh, a lot of ERGs where they really find, that they're hitting on all cylinders and getting true engagement across their company bases if they not just pull in the veterans who've actually been there, but their friends and supporters of them in terms of engagement and making the most impact of them as a uh, organizational asset. So uh, I think that's a great practice to see that uh, Mars Pet Care is being inclusive in that regards because, you know, um, 
you know, I, I think you probably would agree that sometimes you, you'll find these ERGs, veteran ERGs, you'll have some veterans who opt in or opt not to get engaged. Um, but so it's good to have a broader base to help realize some of those outcomes uh, that benefit veterans in the company, but also in their communities as well. Um, you know, so speaking along those lines of, you know, uh, if you look at uh, ERGs within Mars Pet Care and what you've seen, you know, what do you think makes an ERG successful? And probably what would be one of an example of some of the biggest hurdles ERGs have in terms of being engaged with, you know, their membership? I think one of the biggest challenges for ARGs is to demonstrate the value that you provide. It's, it's difficult for a lot of organizations like ours to quantify the impact that we have. You know, how, what contribution are we making to the organization's mission to attract and retain and celebrate our veteran associates? Um, so that was our big challenge this year. You know, when I took over as the, as the veteran chair of our organization and I have a non-veteran um, partner, you know, our, our sponsor challenged us. He came back and he's, he's like, we're doing a lot of great things in a lot of spaces, but it feels like a lot of activity without a mission behind it. He said, so your, my challenge to you this year is to look at all of our activities that we have planned across those three pillars that I talked about and make sure that everything aligns with the mission of the organization and then show me how you're going to quantify the value that you bring and the contribution that you made in each of those areas. So a lot of the conversations that we had early this year was looking at things like, okay, you know, we know we want to do at least one national veteran hiring event. How do we know if we're successful? You know, what criteria for a quality contribution are we going to define for ourselves and what targets are we going to set? You know, we talk about, well, we, we, we built a veteran hiring toolkit to help hiring authorities, both in, in talent acquisition and the hiring managers themselves, uh, understand, you know, the value of hiring veterans. But how do, you know, just throwing that out there on a SharePoint site, how do we know if it's being effective or it's being utilized? So we set ambitious targets for ourselves to say, you know, we're going to get plugged in and pilot a candidate resource management tool. Um, and we're going to set a goal for ourselves that, you know, if, if one in five of the talent that we're interviewing for a potential position with Mars Pet Care is a veteran, then we are present in every one of those conversations as an ARG to help them create the best possible experience and the best possible opportunity for that veteran to successfully transition into the organization, which is especially important in a truly international organization. You know, we, we operate in 55 countries. Um, you know, my chain of command all the way up through the CEO of the company, not one of them is an American citizen. Um, so, you know, we, we have to not only educate our American hiring managers on veterans, but we have to bring that knowledge as well to folks who haven't been exposed to our fairly unique culture and celebration of, of veterans. You know, you bring up something important there. Um, you know, too often, sometimes when we think about, especially in today's day and age, veteran employee resource groups or BRGs, you know, they're very U.S. centric. But for a lot of the companies that are international, you know, veterans and the, the, the 
in the American culture, veterans are, you know, highly regarded, but that's not always the case in some of the international markets with regards to their veterans. So there is a lot of training and education, um, even at the best of times, much less just the, the value that veterans bring to the organizations, especially here domestically and those skill sets that they bring. Um, now, I, thank you for bringing that up. That's actually a, a good point. I think I've seen a lot of ERGs sort of struggle with just educating um, horizontally and vertically in the organization, the value of that veteran and what they can bring. Yeah, it's, uh, I got a funny anecdote. So, you know, my my line manager is is a European citizen, and I was talking to him. I joined Mars, and you know, I had, you had connected me to my predecessor as the as the veteran chair of Dog Tags, and so her and I had lunch together. So I was familiar with Dog Tags, and even you know, even before I came in the door for orientation, I was already wanting to get involved. And I remember I was talking to him. And I was like, yeah, there's this vets group and I really want to get involved. And, you know, I'm a vet and I'm having that conversation with him. And we get to the end and he's just looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, what? He's like, you're a veterinarian. I don't remember seeing that anywhere on your resume. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like, it's like, you know, he didn't, he didn't have that frame of reference. And so it was just, it, it was so funny, but. You know, it, it was it was true, and it's culturally appropriate. I think to you know the, the differences that we're talking about. So, <laughs> well, next time I see you, Jonathan, I'm gonna, I'll be impressed, and I will ask you for uh, you know the last time you've seen an animal. <laughs> Every day, now that I can't leave the house, we yeah, got, they, we got a menagerie. So, <laughs> uh, that that's funny. That's uh, that's a good one. Um, you know, you know, it sounds like you're definitely having a great time there at Mars. You know, in terms of just getting people understanding about your particular role and maybe people who are looking to do something similar to what you're doing, can you just sort of share a little bit about what your, your role is there, and, um, uh, some of the things that you do there? You're talking about in my kind of day job or, yeah. or ARG specific? Yeah, uh, so yeah, in both, probably. Okay. And they cross, they cross a lot actually, which is, which is really, really nice. Um, so from a day perspective, you know, we we're really responsible for helping guide the IT strategy, um, lead the organizational change management initiatives around our, our digital agenda and our digital transformation. And then we also manage a, a multimillion dollar uh, portfolio and project, um, you know, pipeline of demand. So it, and, and it runs the full gamut of, of our entire business end to end. You know, we've, I've got folks on my team that are, are leading major technology investments in supply chain modernization and optimization to data and analytics, you know, predictive analytics that, that can help us understand, um, you know, the chronic underlying genetic conditions with pets that, you know, we're embedded in quality and food safety. Um, every aspect of the business. So that's, that's what excited me about the position, you know, having worked in the IT realm uh, for the last 15 years, I was always very much kind of that practitioner, you know, that person in the shared services organization and providing infrastructure and security and operation services back to the business. This is the first role that I've had other than being the CIO of a hospital where I was equal parts or more business than technology. And that's what makes it so exciting because you get to see everything from the spark of innovation for an idea all the way through to the delivery of the solution 
that allows the organization to realize that value. And, and if you're passionate about aligning technology to business strategy, uh, you know, our business partnership organization is, is about as you know, sweet a spot as you can get. Oh, nice. It, it sounds like, uh, you know, in knowing you, Jonathan, it sounds like it's a role that sort of definitely plays with your uh, skills and your talents. So it sounds like you're having fun there. Certainly not getting bored. Not, uh, <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. If you were to take a step back, especially, you know, you know, one of the things that uh, if you look at just veterans in general, you know, come from different walks of life, different skill sets and talents from whatever branch of service they're in and, and or MOS and specialty. But if you were looking for to help give people advice on, you know, who may be wanting to pursue a career similar to yours. And uh, I know you've, transition different type of industries, but a lot of core foundational skills are there. What, what type of advice would you give them in terms of uh, things to look after, how to broaden their knowledge and skill sets to be successful um, regardless of industry? I think a lot of it comes down to um, aptitude and attitude, you know, and those are two things that, if, if I'm talking to a veteran, you know, I have veterans on my team, if I'm giving them a task or if I'm, if I'm giving someone advice or trying to talk to a hiring manager about a veteran, I know that the attitude is coming with the individual. You know, if, if you tell them this is what I need done and this is the, the extent that I need it done, they're going to do whatever it takes to accomplish that mission. And they're not just going to do it, but they're going to do it the right way. And I think that's important because I've always been taught that how you accomplish something is just as important as what you accomplish. So you can achieve the mission, but if you, you know, leave a trail of bodies or broken homes or, you know, burnt out employees, whatever the case may be behind you, then what have you really accomplished? And, and a veteran knows how important that aspect of accomplishing their objective is. Uh, and, and I know they can be trained. So that was one of the things I think you want to highlight for veterans. And we talked to hiring authorities about is, you know, they're not always going to have a one-to-one -one translation of the job that they were doing to that civilian equivalent. You know, a lot of times the military style of leadership is that a good leader is a good leader, regardless of what role they're in. So over the span of a career, you know, you will do many, many different things and lead other junior personnel in many, many different situations. And that adaptability uh, is, is key and it can't be, it can't be taught. It's, it's ingrained. Um, and you come well ahead of your civilian peers with that experience under your belt. So, you know, that's one of the things we talk about too, is when we're looking at resumes, it's like, you know, when someone says they were a fire team leader, they're really talking about first line supervisory experience. Oh, and they're also talking about, you know, people management in a way of being accountable for someone's well-being, physical, mental, whatever, in a way that they have probably never had to worry about if you hadn't been in, in a military leadership position. So I, I think, you know, veterans who emphasize that part of their experience and, and don't shortchange themselves on that say, you know, I may not be a one-to-one -one fit for the position, but bring those examples of how you were able to adapt and learn and improve something before you, you transitioned out of that role. 
um, is, is, is a powerful statement and not something a lot of people without that diversity of exposure can hope to bring to the table and, and be able to differentiate themselves as positively as you could. No, I think that's well said. I think, you know, one thing that I've always thought about um, when you look at talent is, you know, if you look at the, the average, you know, um, individual transition from the military, you know, the amount of responsibility and accountability that they've had at an early age has really helped define them. And, and they really haven't to prove themselves, you know, above and beyond what they would traditionally find with a counterpart. Right. So, and, and they have to be creative to, to get the job done and really provide that true leadership and motivation to get things done. So well said, um, you know, you, you've got a very, you know, uh, outside of, you know, your military um, and also your, uh, um, you know, partnership with uh, know some nonprofits and charities that you're working with. You're also uh, active in the community as well. You mind just sort of giving everybody a little glimpse of some of the things you do outside of the office and, and within the, the community? So uh, an organization that I was able to find, um, actually, again, it all comes down to you, Charles. I have to thank you for this, this uh, serendipitous opportunity. We were at a uh, veterans breakfast last year and he introduced me um, to, to someone who was, who was standing there who worked for a national nonprofit and a three minute conversation at that breakfast before, you know, we were rushed to our seats because they wanted to start <laughs> the proceedings, um, you know, has now turned into a close friendship and I've joined uh, one of the regional advisory boards of the organization and have been able to, to take that passion for giving back to uh, military families that are in need um, to to a, a broad scale, um, and so that that's you know just one example of community involvement. But one thing I would also plug, you know, if if there's veterans listening to this talking about how can I get involved, that power to connect someone uh, can't be understated, you know. And and a lot of times, and I think the military you know people know this that just following through, if you say I'm going to send you that and you do, or, you know what, I'm going to look into that and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to educate myself on that. And you take the time to do it. Just that little extra degree of effort can have a tremendously positive and transformative impact. Um, and so it's, for me, it's just a reminder of how just the smallest conversations can lead to what I really view as a singularly, you know, great and transformative opportunity for me all based off uh, just a, hey, I don't think you know this person. You guys should talk. And here we are. So, Absolutely. It, you know, I think one of the things that military people in general have a very hard time doing is networking. <laughs> um, and what I call building some of those genuine relationships. I think you stated it very, very well. It's, you know, uh, um, not take advantage of the opportunity to extend yourself and meet and also pay it forward, you know, connect other people. Cause at the end, we're all trying to advance the, you know, the benefits to helping other veterans, you know, grow, develop and all good things that help our broader veteran community as a whole. Um, you know, in terms of uh, your own career development and your growth, who would you say um, would probably be the top three people who have influenced you the most through your career and got you to where you are today? I think the, the, the first two great mentors that I had were both when I was in the service. Um, you know, one was uh, a senior officer 
uh, that was getting ready uh, to retire. And, you know, he and I had worked together because I told him like, oh, you know, I, I want to get through this program. I want to do these great opportunities. And he, he really pushed me along the way and just showed that confidence and that faith in me and never gave me answers. He pushed me to find the answers to myself as I'm studying for boards and, you know, prepping that type of thing. But I remember one of the, the most touching moments that I had in my career is, is when he, he was retiring and his own son was there. I mean, his own son was a commissioned officer, but he called me and one of the chiefs in our department up. And, you know, when he took his, his bars off and he gave them, he gave them to us and he told everyone, he's like, you know, the proudest thing that I can do is build the next generation of great naval leadership. And these two are the next generation of great naval leadership. And so, you know, he took that moment still while it was about him, it was his day to pay it forward, as you said, and, and help, you know, others uh, grow. So I, I was very, very, I valued that moment. So that's something I try to do always is not make it about myself, but it's always about, okay, what can I do with this opportunity to recognize someone else who, who has supported me and gotten me to this place? Um, the other mentor uh, eventually became a really good friend of mine and actually just moved to the Nashville area uh, a couple months ago. So it was nice to reconnect with him. But, uh, you know, was, he, he just, he was so passionate. I mean, everything about what he was doing was about his people. You know, he would, he would fight for you, die for you. He, he'd force you every day to be a better version of yourself. Um, and just that relentlessness, you know, when I was early in my career and I was, you know, more blinded by being the best at something and he was just saying, no, just don't, you don't need to, you, everyone's not competition. Just do your part really, really well and do your best to help others and good things will happen to you. And, and he ingrained that in me. Um, and then another great mentor that I had was through the uh, veterans peer group with the National Technology Council we talked about earlier. Um, my, my first mentor was, was great. He helped me through a, a difficult time in my career, uh, which I think was a big thing. Um, you know, I was, I was trying to evaluate where I was at and I was at a point where, you know, the things that I had prioritized and that, that balance that you need to have between, uh, you know, money, fulfillment and work-life balance, I was off kilter. Um, and, and I put myself in that situation and he helped me frame the conversation that way. And he said, Hey, figure this out for yourself, figure out where you're at, then go talk to your spouse, you know, and figure out where, where they're at. So you guys are on the same page. And then when you look at the next opportunity, you're, you're running to something that's going to make you happy that you might not have otherwise traditionally considered an opportunity. And it, it was that that led me to Mars Pet Care. And he talked me through that process. And, and now uh, I've, I've quite honestly never been more personally fulfilled uh, in my professional career since leaving the service. Oh, awesome. You know, I, I think it's something that uh, goes to the heart that each of us, you know, while we're all competent and capable, and sometimes it's hard to ask other people for help or build those connections, you know, having those mentors or those people who you can go to and ask questions is key. So I definitely would recommend for those who are listening that, you know, whoever is in your social circle, 
um, don't be hesitant to reach out to them or even people you don't know um, just to sort of extend your, your, your social network and get some uh, consult and advice to help you grow, but also do some of the great stuff that you just mentioned right there. Cause you know, we, we only get better if the more perspectives we get added to help us paint that picture of who we are and where we want to go and how do we get there. So. Yeah, yeah absolutely. If, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll, I'll riff on that for a minute and add to it. Cause I think one of the things that he did that you've done incredibly well, Charles and all of our interactions is, is be humble as well. You know, I'm, I may be early career or mid career and you know, the other person across the table from me may be the senior executive, but by them giving me a glimpse into their thought process and being willing to be vulnerable and not having to have all the answers, but be willing to learn from me as well is tremendously powerful in building that rapport and, and getting to the real heart of the issue. You know, I, I think that's a, that's a big part of it too is, is, being able to be humble and, and wanting that interaction, not just to show off or get something out of it, but to truly just genuinely connect yeah. with the other person and see where you can help each other. Yeah, exactly. It's really that, I think the piece of highlight there, what you just said is that genuine relationship, right? Because, you know, regardless if you're where you are in your career and the person you're talking to, it's an interaction and you both have something to learn from each other, right? So, absolutely. Um, so, you know, given some of the, we're going to transition a little bit to talk about something a little bit, um, off script here. I was just thinking about this, uh, being at Mars Pet Care, you probably got to see or do some pretty cool things. So, so far since you've been there, can you share a cool experience that you've had, um, at your time at Mars Pet Care? One of, so, yeah, I think one of the most rewarding things um, that I've done is, is we have an organization that's affiliated with Mars called the Pedigree Foundation. Um, that's a, it's a nonprofit uh, that gives about a million dollars a year to shelters around the country um, that are, are looking at innovative ways to help connect, uh, you know, pets that need a forever home with that forever home. Um, and so I'm on the grant review um, part of the process where we look at the grants and give the grants for those that are trying innovative uh, ways to do that, whether it's, you know, looking at video teleconferencing in the age of COVID to connect potential adopters to, to pets that, that need to be adopted um, to just, you know, going around and looking at shelters and, and helping, you know, look for ways that they could improve their operations and we can help. I think that's been really rewarding when we look and we say, you know, we've, you know, shelters were at an all-time high for pets before COVID, and there was this huge wave of people that, that wanted to adopt, but we needed to find a way to get them connected. And so to come back a week later and say, hey, because of the contribution that you made, every one of those pets got adopted. You know, there was no pet that did not come and meet a family and have to go back to a shelter. They left that day a loved member of a family. And so that was really neat to be able to take work again and tie that to a passion of mine, having, you know, having adopted many pets and special needs pets at that and been a foster, uh, you know, it was, it was just, it was perfect. And, and something that's just that little exclamation point on the end of, of how fulfilling the job is. Okay. Oh, very cool. Um, it's always nice when you see something that you've been a part of to take life and, make an impact in the communities. 
um, for sure. Um, well, let me ask you this. If you were to take a step back and say, and all of a sudden you had one superpower, what would that be? <laughs> I told oh. you I'm trying to throw a little curveball here. Wow. One superpower. That's that wow, that's tough. You know, I, I can't think I don't think I've ever thought of that question. Um because you, you go what angle you know, what angle do you go with? Like what helps you, you know, are you are are you thinking you're gonna have to you know, fight other super villains, so you need to be you need to be able to defend yourself. Um, yeah, I think shape shifting would be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, to to you know be able to to make yourself look like whatever you want. Um, you know, I, th I think it'd be neat to to be able to do that, but then also go out into the community and maybe be viewed through that lens. Um, you know to kind of tie it back to some current things, you know, a lot of what we talk about right now and the social tensions going on in our communities is, is really, I think not to get too preachy, but an inability to see the world through someone else's eyes. And so I think if, if you were able to say, you know what, today I'm going to make myself a woman or I'm going to make myself a person of color and I'm going to see firsthand how the world reacts to that. I think that would be an incredibly powerful experience in a way that you could take that superpower, not just do, you know, amazing butt kicking things with it, but also grow personally through the experience. Now that's actually a good, good one right there. I never would have really thought about the shape shifting and, you know, but I think, you know, you bring up a very interesting point. Uh, you know, I think, you know, taking time to listen, but also just putting in, realizing other the different perspectives of people in general, right? Um, I think that's one of the things that is sort of tied back to something, you know, we both have seen, right? Even in the military, you know, you, you get a lot of interactions nationally or internationally, depending on where you've been, to learn and see different perspectives, right? Even myself, I grew up, you know, my mom is a Korean and I, you know, my dad was state, my, my dad was military, so I grew up and lived overseas and then, I was in for a while and deployed overseas too. So you get different perspectives, right? I, th I think that's one of the things I've seen, at least in the veterans I've connected with is, you know, there's a, a, a broader base of experiences that have shaped their worldview and outlook, right? So, but I, I think that superpower is very interesting. It's a, it's a lot cooler than mine. Mine was just going to be something simple as flying. <laughs> I don't know why I've always had a fascination with flight. So. Yeah. I well, I think that'd be fun, too. So obviously, you've never done like a barrel roll in an F-14 uh, at you know six Gs, where you all no, flying no. a little bit. But, but yeah, uh, I, I would just hope there'd be no video. Of <laughs> what oh no, there's video. There's video. Trust me, they they make sure she video. No, I mean, it, it, you brought up a point. I think that's really that speaks to something that we talked about this week. You know, one of the things that being a part of the inclusion and diversity council has done is, you know, our senior leadership is listening now uh, in a way that they never had before. And it's a tremendous opportunity. And so one of the things we're talking about this, this week was, you know, what can we do to make sure that we're hiring a diverse and inclusive associate population? And, you know, I, I spoke up and I said, honestly, hire veterans. There is no more diverse 
organization on the planet than the U.S. Department of Defense and the Armed Forces, because you are dealing with people from all walks of life, all situations, all ethnicities, multiple nationalities, religious affiliation, and you've got to come together and function as a team in order to be successful. So if you want a population that looks like the general population, and you want people who know how to be inclusive of differences and ideas, then hiring veterans would be one of the fastest ways to check both those boxes. Um, and they, they, they responded, you know, the executives that we were talking to, um, you know, responded really well to that. And we're like, wow, you know, that's not something we've thought about, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I always tell different ERGs when I talk to them and as they're looking to do that whole engagement piece, um, always stress to them that the veteran ERGs, and if you look at their membership and demographics, they're really the only resource group or affinity group that really hits all those different verticals under DNI, right? Mm -hmm. It's really the only ERG that can make that claim. And it's because of that very reason you just alluded to, right? We are uh, the representation of our population, right? Whether it's religion, race, gender, we are that uh, swath of uh, what really is that uh, melting pot of you know in the United States, right? So, well said. Well, you as well. Wish I'd been half that articulate when I said it. So, <laughs> so you know, in, if you were to say for companies who are looking or considering to start a ERG, uh, but maybe hesitating, you know. What would you say the value of having that type of affinity group and um, employee resource group to sort of champion and rally those, those really, uh, uh, those passions and, and really that make it a business asset? What would you tell them about why they should spend the time and energy to help build out that type of uh, capability within the organization? Yeah, I, I, that's a great question. I think there's, there's, to me, there's two primary value propositions for a veterans associate research group, and they both speak to a continuation of those things that we found in the military, that thing that we found we had together, you know, are in common. And that is a sense of community and continuation of service. And an ARG is a great way to show veterans that have, you know, whether they've been in the civilian world for 20 years or they're transitioning, you know, into their first, you know, job they've ever had outside of, of uniform, um, giving them that sense of community um, is, is absolutely critical to them being a uh, engaged and, and happy employee. And then that sense of service, you know, a lot of ARGs do many, many great things in their organizations, in their community, uh, with other like-minded veteran service organizations. And so I think every veteran at some point had a calling, whether it was, you know, overt or not, to serve their country and their communities by extension. And I think ARGs can continue that role as well. So I, I would say if any ARGs looking at it, you know, you can attract top veteran talent because you're going to appeal to them on a level where they can continue or regain a lot of what they had in the military. And that's serving to make the world a better place. Uh, and that sense of community that, you know, they have a brother and sister in arms beside them. Absolutely. Well said. 
Um, let me last question here because I know we're getting close to the our time here, and definitely appreciate you taking time out of your night. Um, once you know COVID, say the vaccine is you know uh, available, or and they have treatments in place for that. What's going to be one of the first things you do when you're able to not be you know uh, socially quarantined from from home and able to get back and resume a sort of normal life? What's going to be one of the first things you're itching to do, either with you or with you and your family, to get out and do? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, th I think I miss eating in a restaurant. Um, yeah. And I know you can't, you know, in some, some extent where we're at middle Tennessee, they've started to open things back up, but you know, I, I tease my wife that it, she prefers the term germ aware rather than germaphobe. Um, but <laughs> even in a good situation, she's one of the most germ aware people I've ever known. Um, and so, you know, even if we wanted to eat in a restaurant, I don't think that would be an option, but some of the best conversations we've had with our kids have been at a restaurant because, you know, it's not the same as eating at home. It, it kind of takes them out of that familiar situation and you can use that to have an engaging conversation. And so, uh, yeah, I, I miss, I miss that. Um, so I, I think I would, Tell my let my kids each pick, pick pick their favorite restaurant. We will literally go eat at every one of those, you know, three days in a row. Uh, you know, and I think I would have to echo your uh, your desire <laughs> there because I, I'll definitely be glad to go be able to go to a restaurant without. And we really haven't. If we've done anything, we went and picked up stuff. But I definitely wouldn't mind not having to lather it up with a whole bunch of hand sanitizer and like getting a you know. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, having the fumes almost knock me out. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if you go anywhere, like even just, I, I had a run to the post office yesterday. It was literally outside for 15 minutes of the house. Everything. I mean, we have like mop decom procedures to come, to come back in the house and everything goes, you go straight in the shower, your clothes go straight, you know, in, in the, the washing machine. Um, yeah. It, it'd be nice not to have to, to go through that just to, step outside and check the mail. I'm going to have to introduce your wife to mine because mine's the same way. <laughs> no, no, we shouldn't because they may learn <laughs> tips and tricks from each other and they'll just come back twice as strong. Good point. Good point. Well, Jonathan, you know, um, definitely thank you again for taking time this evening and definitely look forward for us to catch up in person once we get through all this uh, COVID uh, situation we're in. And hopefully, you know, we still got six months left in 2020. So hopefully we don't hear anything else about murder hornets or, or anything else coming on the, the horizon. So we can only handle so many disasters <laughs> yeah. in, in a year. So. Yeah, I, I love all the stories like, oh, hey, they found a previously unopened tomb in Egypt. Like, no, this is not the time. <laughs> we can't break the mummy out on, on top of everything else. So. Yeah, I think I saw today they were talking about the desert, uh, the, uh, the sandstorms coming from the Middle East over. Right? Oh, yeah. Yep. I was like, oh, great. What, what next? <laughs> That's why you never say it can't get any worse because, you know, exactly. universal truth would be wrong. Yep. yep. So. <laughs> well, Jonathan, awesome, man. I definitely appreciate you uh, uh, taking your time and uh, sharing some pearls of uh, insight and also just letting people get a chance to know a little bit more about you and the good stuff that you guys are doing there at Mars Pet Care. So uh, thank you again. Well, th thank you, Charles, for the opportunity and, and thank you as well for everything that you've done to get the Veterans Corporate Council to where it's at. 
Um, that's been tremendously valuable to me as an individual and, and to our organization as, as we get more involved. So, um, you know, stepping up and taking a lead in that can, can have exponential impact on our community. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks again, Jonathan. See you.